Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. My next guest is Matt Rad, and boy, does he have an interesting story to share. Matt and his wife, Liz, have been in business together for some time, having started, bought, and sold their own businesses, and even helped other people to sell their businesses too. Matt and Liz now run an online education company that teaches their clients how to find, acquire, and grow online businesses. And as you can imagine, they've got a few uh, online businesses in their portfolio too. Now, in this episode, Matt shares how you too can embrace the digital economy and use this model to live the life you want. He also shares his top tips when buying and selling businesses and how to ensure you give yourself the best chance of success. I got so much from my discussion with Matt, and I'm sure you will too. This is Matt Rad. G'day, Matt. Welcome to the show. G'day, Simon. Thanks for having me on. Mate, absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I'm really, um, you know, it's such a privilege to actually get here and listen to people like yourself and hear your story and talk about, you know, what's going on in your world and, and all the rest. So I appreciate you making time to uh, to come on and, and share. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime I get to talk about business exits and buying and selling businesses, love to be there. Yeah, no, that's cool. And, and, and that's why you're such an interesting guest for us, just, just your experience and what you do today. And, you know, I've obviously had the, the, the privilege of, and, and pleasure of chatting to you once before. And, um, and I just loved hearing your story and I just knew it would connect with so many of our uh, listeners. So maybe, maybe you could kick off and just give us a, a little bit of your background. Yeah, sure. And not so it, it is really cool to be here and it was fun chatting to you before about and your background as well. We have very similar backgrounds, but I think what your listeners might find um, hopefully quite interesting or fascinating is we've diverged off into this weird, at the time when we did it, a weird angle, which is buying and selling websites. That's our, that's our main thing. We've been doing it for the last decade or so. So when I say we, um, I'm in business partners. My business partner is my wife. We've been um, doing this for 25 years. We met at uni and buying and selling businesses. And then, like I said, we transitioned into buying and selling websites. And that's what we're really well known for these days and how you value them and stuff like that. But I think one of the really interesting stories to our background is that we started out with bricks and mortar businesses, particularly manufacturing and wholesale import businesses, buying and selling those and um, learning how to value them. And we got involved with um, as professional business brokers ourselves and so we worked with a whole range of really interesting entrepreneurs over the last 25 years some of them quite famous um, entrepreneurs here in Australia 
And I never thought, you know, I grew up on a farm and that where I met my wife was at uni. We both studied zoology, would you believe? So we're experts <laughs> in red kangaroo. We were meant to be. And um, <laughs> we're, there's no money in it. So we got into this game. And in a nutshell, that's our story. We started buying and selling businesses and, and we'll share some of those lessons today, I'm sure. And But I think one of the fascinating things for us was the stuff we learned off dealing with a lot of these high net worth entrepreneurs and, you know, working either for them or negotiating um, sometimes against them in a business sale. And um, then to these days, we, we, we saw the light. We moved online, luckily, a decade ago. And as they say, the rest is history. For us, that was just a, a game changer, massive game changer. Okay, so the human stuff I love too, right? So you're studying zoology yeah. and is that where you met each other? Yep. Is yeah, that- absolutely. Yeah, so we're, and it, it is quite amusing we, we're happy to share this story. Now, I know we're a bit old. I was really embarrassed about it before. But in our <laughs> community, everyone knows I'm not that technical and I don't – here I am, I make my money off computers, right, and I buy and sell websites and I'm, I can build websites. I'm really good at it and all that sort of stuff. But um, my background is not from a computer background at all and that's how I met Liz because at uni – they made it, we're at Uni of New South Wales, and they made us, we had to, it is in zoology, right? We had to do this assignment where you've got to put together these complex tables, and I just could not do it. And here's this beautiful young girl who was an expert on computers, and she just helped me. So that's how we met. Here I was swearing at a computer. I couldn't figure out how to use it. So 25 <laughs> years later, I still call her and say, hey, Liz, can you just help me with this technical thing? And she just rolls her eyes at me and goes, okay, <laughs> here we go again. So, yeah, that's how. That's yeah. literally how we met over a computer because I was frustrated with it. And then, um, yeah, just, just went from there. So it was good. Yeah, awesome, awesome. That's uh, it's fascinating where we meet our partners, and and hey, you know, opposites attract, right? I mean, Absolutely. you're good at certain things; you must be good at others. So, 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 where did it go from those uh, the you know interesting times of studying zoology? Where where did you go from there? Well, I actually got a scholarship to do a PhD, so we did our honours, and what what was cool was you get you know you get paid a some money and stuff like that to do that. But I realised very quickly in science, unfortunately, so we're both Liz, my wife Liz, she's from the country as well, and we both wanted to live out in the country, and that's why we thought, you know, zoology, that's pretty cool. But we realised very quickly it doesn't work that way. You, um, If you're going to be a zoologist, you're pretty much stuck in the city in a lab or something, and you can go out into areas. But you, the main thing is you're always scratching around for money, for funding and grants and stuff, and... I grew up in a family where money was pretty tight and I always had a goal to be rich one day, to be successful. I didn't know how to do it. I had no idea. At the time, I didn't know any millionaires or anything like that or any business people, um, just farmers and stuff. And so I realised, well, is not going to cut it. So we got into our first business while I was at uni when I got that scholarship and I gave the money back. I said, I, um, I'm going to quit, I literally quit pretty quickly, uh, basically six months into my PhD, and then Liz, she quit hers as well to come and join me in the business, and we were hooked on day one. So we, we had we got in this weird little business. We are out in the country as my parents found it, and we got we had some family support and also Liz had had an inheritance, not, not a big one, but a bit of a, a payout there. And so we used every last cent we had to go into this bloody business and we knew nothing about it. No one in my family knew about it. We didn't know how to value it. And this is, I think, the biggest lesson for your audience, Simon, and I love what you do, is this is what drives us now. We got given the wrong advice. Here we are, these young, totally naive, innocent 
people looked at this business, thought this is really cool. It was a manufacturing business. And the accountant, you know, as I since found, a lot of accountants don't know how to truly value the business. He said it was a good business. We bought it and we very quickly realised it was pretty much going bankrupt. And so we just got handed a, you know, lots of potential, all the usual stuff. And it was totally, it was incorrect. And so I... You got you got the hospital yeah, pass, mate. Yeah, the, it was, uh, the classic, it, was yeah. A, it was a tricky one. It was bloody scary. And now I guess we're young and we didn't have a lot to lose as such. Although to us it was you know it's a big thing at that time. But so we were we were, our backs were up against the wall, and we just decided we got to turn this thing around. And luckily we read some. So we're totally self taught in business. Started reading heaps of books. And my first book actually was a. Um, oh, I should have had it here. It's just around the corner in my show. It was six, we had no money. We're uni students. Like literally every last cent went into our business, every last cent we had, and pretty much living off, you know, two-minute noodles. And so I bought that book from Vinnie's for 60 cents, and it was um, what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School. It's a red cover and it's beaten up, and every single second page that the, the corners folded over where I've taken notes. And basically my take-home point from there was um, learn how to sell. Well, yeah, I didn't worry about, and, and it peeved me to use a polite word about this accountant. And I thought, I'm not going to listen to what some accountant telling me you've got to cut costs because that's obviously, I don't trust the accountant. All I'm going to do is focus on getting more sales into the business. So that, that in my yeah. total naive mind, I figured that's got to be a winning strategy, doesn't it? The more money into the bank account, that's got to pull us out of this, what we're in. You know, you're absolutely right. I totally get where you're coming from, Matt. It's you know, it's funny from a very simplistic perspective. You want more profit. There's two levers, right? You either cut yeah. cost or you or you do yeah. more revenue. And and I think there is a natural tendency, and and possibly a lot with a lot of accountants to because costs are, are, are more easy to sort of assess and say, well, you know, how do we cut that back and. How you drive revenue is a very, very different so, yeah. story, but also has far more potential to have impact, right? So it's uh, it's an interesting one. Uh, can I take you back for a second? You, you, you made a comment that I, I, I found interesting and I just want to explore a little bit with you. You know, started out, wanted to get rich, wanted to have a different life is, is what I heard yep. there and 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 I and I relate to that. You know, I, I certainly grew up. We we had no money. Um, we you know, and I always looked around and thought I I want a different life. So I, that that very much resonates with me. What, one of the things that I'm always curious about with business owners is what they want to get out of their journey, right? Like, what's the end game for you? And and to say, look, I want to be rich or I want wealth. I want you know, like, is a very normal and expected answer and, and absolutely fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting a better life. But the, the curious part I like to unpack with people is what does that mean to you, right? Because, and, and I'm not going to ask you to share per personal financial objectives and stuff, but it's one of the questions we ask in one of those surveys we do is what does it mean to be wealthy to you? And the three answers that people get given is one, I have $10 million in the bank. Two, I am able to cover all my bills and expenses as they arise. Or three, I can do whatever I want whenever I want. And, I'm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was going to put it yeah, to you. So. Without a doubt. And it's an interesting one, right, because for some people, um, like if you want to drive a Ferrari and have a private jet and be live the high life, well, clearly you need a lot more money to, to do what you want whenever you want. 
But that whole piece of do what you want when you want means totally different things to everybody, and and I find that really interesting. Well, it's particularly relevant in in our story, Liz, and my story, because we're both from the country, and so one of the things that drove us why we as you heard, why we didn't continue with zoology because we didn't have that freedom. So I grew up um, watching my dad. My dad was a farm manager, so he didn't own the farm. So we didn't, he didn't, not much more than the workers on the farm. No one knows that. It was just a, you know, the company that he worked for didn't, it's in agriculture back in the 80s. No one, they didn't pay much money. But what I got to grow up with, and Liz is the same, is my parents were at home and there was freedom. So I saw my dad working basically from home. So we literally lived next to the farm or on the farm. So he would just walk out the front door and there is say during the school holidays or whatever, I can just walk down and go and hang out with him whenever I want. And I guess also we're in the, you know, we're in Australia in the great outdoor open spaces. And I think that's a pattern that's followed Liz and I through to this day. It's always been about freedom. So when we got into our first business, which is, I should mention, it's a manufacturing business. So Liz and I, uh, I'll do this symbol. We are anti-retail um, businesses. We've never, uh, we've only owned one retail business where it's, you know, to customers. Yeah, and, and just for those listeners who don't have, yeah, Matt was giving us the big no deal arms yeah, cross as, as the yeah, sign that, there. That, so we've always bought and sold either manufacturing or wholesale import businesses because they give us freedom time-wise, not, not so much money. What I've got to be careful of here, everyone looks at us and thinks, oh, wow, you, you know, you, you've done well, all that sort of stuff. Well, then I realise it took 10 years. We didn't get a return on the business for 10 years in our bricks and mortar business. It, <laughs> websites, on the other hand, rock. They're way quicker, but that's a different story. But with bricks and mortar businesses for us, it was so for me. I'm I'm a little bit different than Liz. I'm far more driven by money because of my background, coming from very poor background where it was very tight. Liz Liz's parents, but they weren't rich or anything like that. They're on in a rural area down in the snowy mountains. But she's very much driven more about the life, um, the freedom lifestyle. So for us, when we got together, I think it was the perfect mix. And also for me, it's all about freedom, like watching my dad how he worked and just being able to work from home, but being able to do whatever we want whenever we want was incredibly important. And we found manufacturing and wholesale import businesses delivered that in spades because you didn't work fixed hours. And we love that as well. We don't, we've never worked nine till five. Like we will work 12, 15 hour days if we need to. But most of the time you'll find we like literally in our manufacturing business. So we got to the point where we were taking six months a year off so that's how come we were able to buy and sell other businesses, and that yeah. was the next it's, part of our journey. And that's, I think, an important point to just hone in on the uh, hone in on here. It's you're not saying that it's easy and you're not working hard. It's lifestyle doesn't mean not working hard. It's and 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 tell me if I'm you know I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but I'm I get the sense that if you're doing what you love, you can be working really really hard and still have a sense of freedom and and. It, is that, yeah, is that the point? Yeah, that, and absolutely. And I think that's what, it's funny, I've said this, and I think I said this earlier, I've, and I was just saying this to some clients the other day, I think within 24 hours I was addicted to business for probably that reason. Like I, I absolutely loved it, was passionate about it, it really works in my mind and and you can create the life that you want and the time that you want out of your business. And, yeah, it's not 
you know, there's times when you do work really hard and there's other times when you can take time off. For us, it's about the process of, of building and buying businesses and building up. And as we've gotten older, we've definitely decided to build more passive incomes out of it. But see, all my role models in business when we first got into it, because we're into manufacturing, I hung around other guys who are a lot older than me. So I was only, I was in my mid-20s, so we were late starters in the business as well. And so I'm hanging out with these older guys and watching, like they had good role models there in that they all owned manufacturing businesses as well. And they, none of them worked nine to five. Okay, sometimes they worked their butts out, but plenty of times they weren't in their businesses. The businesses don't operate nine to five in manufacturing businesses or wholesale import businesses. You know, and often you'll, you, you'll have to go overseas and find a whole heap of new stock or whatever, or you have to sort out deals. But other than that, it's not a nine to five, you know, five days a week type business. It's choose your own adventure, whatever hours you want to work. And so I think that's the thing that we've always been attracted to. And if you look at our patterns now, I mean, we're in the ultimate, ultimate space for businesses like that, which is online. We work whatever hours we want now. It's literally, you know, so in summer, I live in Queensland. It's bloody hot up here in summer. <laughs> so I'm up at four o'clock in the morning. And I'm happy to get online, do some work, and then my day's done. By most of the time, most people start work at nine. I'm finished. I can go and do whatever I want, and so you, and then you know you can work whatever hours you want. So, and I think that drives Liz and I. It also means um, the other big thing for us with business is being able to live in the country, and that's always been important. And we found manufacturing businesses, or particularly now internet businesses, we can live wherever we want in the world. So, yeah, that, nice. I think that's what drives us in a big way. Yeah. And you've got kids, don't you, Matt? Yep, yep. We've got two kids and um, we teach them all the same thing. Like they're, they're learning yeah. these holidays. They are learning. Um, it's their choice. We don't push yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. They've decided to learn how to build websites as well. Yeah, cool. But And I think that's the beauty of it. And what I heard from your story is, is you know, put, put earnings or whatever aside, but one of the possibly positive things growing up was that you could go and see your dad. You lived out there on the property. You had access to parents and, you know, you, you, they don't necessarily leave at six in the morning and come back at seven at night and you don't actually see them at all. And it's and, and it sounds like you're giving, you've got that opportunity with your kids now yeah. as well. Yeah, it's funny. Some, some one of my mentors years ago pointed that out to me, said, he goes, you watch, Matt, you repeat your patterns, you come back to your roots. And he said that to me many, he's a really successful guy and he came from nothing as well, same sort of thing. And, he, and he's telling you, watch when you, when you get older because he's talking about some of his hobbies. He's a full-on rev head and all that sort of stuff. And here he is, <laughs> he can buy whatever he wants and he's just into you know, muscle cars and stuff. But um, that is a pattern that I've repeated in my life. It's just in a different way. So our kids have grown up with Liz and I always being at home. And I remember when they first started school, uh, preschool or whatever it was, the first year at school, they, they came back and said, oh, wow, this is weird. Parents have to go off to work. They had no idea that that's <laughs> how it works. All the other kids don't see their kids and, you know, and, and like dad's off at of work, he doesn't pick them up from school or drive them to school and they, they suddenly realised, oh, wow, okay, we, we live, this is pretty amazing. Both mum and dad are at home. And I guess it's also rare because, you know, parents, we're, we're business partners as well. Um, normally parents have separate jobs. But it's, so in that sense, it's been a wonderful journey for us. You know, we're, we're really proud of what we've created in terms of our businesses and as role models to our kids and also to our community and things. It's a, it's a pretty cool way to live, I've got to say. Absolutely. It's, it's quality of life, right, or whatever that yeah. means to, to each individual out there. 
So Matt, take us, take us back a little bit. So you, you you know you bought your first business. You've gone out there. You've copped this big hospital pass. You've caught the ball, but now you now you actually have to deal with you know what comes next. And you know talk, talk us through it a little bit. Like what what happened with that business? Okay, so like a lot of or maybe like a number of your listeners, especially anyone that's got a manufacturing business, it was always managing the cash flow that was the painful bit. So we just get ahead. Every last cent we'd make, we'd get a big order and we'd have to put it back into stock for the next year. And so your business shows this, a good P&L, but, like, the money's not sitting there. It's not on the kitchen table. How the hell does that work? And no accountant could explain it to me, so I realised I've got to figure out this thing, how, the, how this works. And it turns out manufacturing businesses are pretty hard to manage, especially when they're growing fast. So we got, we got good sales so I should explain, we're making uh, spare parts for the outdoor power equipment here in Australia. And um, this was before China. So we manufactured everything in the western suburbs of Sydney. We had all our net worth tied up in warehouses around. So we, we lived out in the country in the southern highlands and then we'd drive in in our utes or whatever and pick stuff up or we get things delivered out to our um, big shed out in the country and then we put it together and then we ship it all off around Australia and then we started getting into export. So we, I mean, we had a ball in that business. It was bloody awesome. And we got to meet, you know, we were selling to companies like um, Honda, Makita, uh, all these big um, chainsaw brands, brush cutters, and all the distributors. And we got, we got some good um, export orders, which was really good for us. And I think it's from us. I think we were just so young and enthusiastic about it. Some of these guys just gave us the orders and, and we did make a good product. <laughs> like, we, you know, we, we fixed that business up dramatically, but a lot of energy, a lot of time. But we got it to the point where it's a seasonal business because it relies on rain and, and um, grass growing. That's what we sold. So for six months of the year, we didn't have to work, just had to prepare the business. And so we just loved it so much. That's when we started. We thought, oh, we'll buy another little. We need to diversify our income. We're big on that. We teach that now too. And we realized this one business is pretty dangerous. A, it soaks up a lot of cash, uh, like in to stock. So we wanted to diversify into a business that was more even. So we started buying and selling other businesses and learning how they worked and particularly learning how they um, had to value them. And then we started selling them as business brokers because we'd done it. We're good at it. Like we we're just, we, we could value a business. And through that, that's when the, for me, the magic happened. I think the light bulbs went on with business, how they work. Because when you're a business broker, this was in Sydney, and I was selling to uh, businesses with EBITs of a mill or more, so and particularly manufacturing or wholesale import businesses. And so doing deals from a mill to 20 mil, I, I really enjoyed that mainly because first I thought it because of the sellers because they got such interesting businesses. Oh, you should see that. Business is just fascinating. There's some of the stuff that I got to sell. It's just amazing. But um, what was more interesting was the buyers. So in Sydney, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of high net worth entrepreneurs and we're in eastern suburbs. And so there's a, although we had a network of buyers from all over the place, but those buyers, they were really good, you know, mentors. Some of them pretty tough negotiators, I can tell you, especially when you're a young, innocent guy from the country. But um, getting to meet people that I read about in, you know, Fin Review or BRW was pretty cool. They, they were, you know, all of a sudden I'm sitting across a table with them and they're teaching me how they value this manufacturing business that I might be selling or something. And so you speak to 20 different buyers of a business 
and you see how each and every one of them, and none of them are accountants, which is good. Mm. You can see I'm not a fan mm. of how accountants <laughs> value businesses. But, and literally we do it, in, we might be in the western suburbs somewhere out in, you know, at a, typically at a McDonald's and I'm with these high net worth guys and they're valuing like the factory that I'm about to sell or the business and they just show me on the back of literally a McDonald's napkin or whatever or the classic envelope writing down, well, here's how I'd value. So I remember we were selling a forklift hire business with about 100 big forklifts and stuff. And so watching how the different buyers would value that and work out the cash flow. So we'd have the P&L sitting there in Macca's, out in Balkan Hills or something or out of Blacktown and wherever it was. And, you know, they, these guys would write it out and we'd have a little calculator and they'd just show me, say, here's, Matt, how you do it and this is why my offer is going to be this and I'm going to pull in these investors. And it was just, to me as a young guy, an entrepreneur, like, man, where, where else can you get this sort of an education? It was just, you know, I'd be pinching myself, mind-blowing. And then some of these people are just awesome. They're still friends today. And, you know, they'd ask me to spot businesses for them later on. And, and then they started hearing about what Liz and I do with internet businesses and then they're learning off us now. So that's pretty cool. And, um, yeah, that's yeah, nice. Yeah, the, 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 the cycle's yeah. turned, right? I, I, I want to come back to one of your comments in a second, but, uh, you know, this, the, the thing about the McDonald's, because I've been there, right? I think most of us have been out and about, even if you're not running, you know, doing deals, in the, but, you know, if you've ever had a job where you're on the road, I mean, how many yeah. times have you had to do phone calls in, in the McDonald's in car park, right? Yep. It's, uh, they say McDonald's is a great business, but I just wonder how much business happens in their car park. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's fascinating. But I, I want to come back to the comment you made about accountants valuing businesses because I, and, and, and I want to unpack that a little bit for people because and I don't think, uh, you know, I know you're not intending it as a, just a, you know, a, a knock for accountants, it's, it, but it's an interesting perspective because everybody's heard the expression, the, your business is only worth what the market's willing to pay. And I think when you're out there selling a business and you have, let's be honest, even if you had to, only had two or three potential buyers, but, hey, the more the merrier, right, you end up having 10, 12, 15, 20 buyers, look at a business you're selling, put in either an offer or tell you what you think they think it's worth and why. I mean, that is the market. Absolutely. That is what that business is worth. Somewhere on that, uh, somewhere on that scale, right? Is is really what the market's willing to pay? And and okay, yes, we can get cute and talk about negotiation. And if I if they were going to offer a million, are they willing to pay one point two? Well, possibly. But at the end of the day, they're all micro steps on a scale. Yeah. Yep. And I and I just think that your comment about accountants is important for a reason. And 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 I guess I want to share that a little bit. Is that uh, accountants, a lot of you know, most accounts are great at what they do. Oh, yeah, great at what they do. Awesome. Yeah, 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 great at account, great at accounting, great with numbers, great at compliance, great at even some of them are good at even giving some strategic advice depending on their backgrounds, etc. When it comes to valuation, though, if you're there's a lot more to look at than just the numbers, Absolutely. and yeah. and I, yeah, so I think if you if you're doing a simple and we talk about this a little bit on this show, but, you know, without getting too technical here, you know, whether you're doing a discounted cash flow or you're capitalising, you know, any, the earnings of the business, in other words, taking your profit and multiplying it by something, right? I, I think there's a lot of work that gets done by an accountant there to crunch things and put it in the right format and make sure we're adding up the right lines and multiplying the right lines, et cetera. But the missing part to that equation is often some of the operational matters and the qualitative stuff that sits behind a business. And it sounds to me that that was kind of what you got hit with in your situation is, 
Is, is that a fair yes, comment? Yes, and not understanding, not looking. I've, I've seen this before. I, I mean, I, I don't want to turn it into a bagging of, of accountants at all. And I there's accountants that I will go to to help me value businesses. They're very good at it. But it, it's, a, it's a unique skill because there's one other big thing that what accountants don't take into account, <laughs> to use a pun, but, um, <laughs> but that is... It, it, it's a bigger picture. It's the vibe, you know, it's like in Out of the Castle, it's the Marbo. It's the vibe. And I do mean that yeah. sincerely in that the accountant just looks at the figures and they're typically pro their client. So they don't look to the So It's like the lawyers. Lawyers, in a business deal, there's two things, three things that can put a, a big deal off the run, especially a multi-million dollar one. And that is a lawyer being too aggressive and so you need an intermediary to come in and calm things down. And then the accountants uh, and the banks, of course, if they don't approve the finance, and then the accountants. And it's normally because these important, incredibly important people are working so wholly and solely for their clients. So they get very blinkered. And what happens is you need someone like us to come in, an advisor, and say, well, hang on. There's a bigger picture happening here. So I'll give you a really good example that hopefully explains it. So I had a business owner that came to me. He heard that I was a specialist in selling a particular, it's a very tricky business to sell. It's in the building game. It was manufacturing a particular product in the game. And his accountant had, to a degree, rightfully said to him, mate, that's worth $5 million, but he couldn't sell it. Now, I came in and I sat with this gentleman and and he's a really cool guy, super good entrepreneur, and I could see straight away why the accountant had said that, but this thing had stuck around on the market for a year. It hadn't shifted. So now we've got to start bringing in the bigger picture, which is, hang on, my, my this client, he's facing some troubles on a property development that he's done, right? So he's got to get out of this thing pretty quickly and he's getting getting a little bit peeved with, he's just got this feeling his accountant's not telling him the, the right thing. And I said to him, mate, well, it might be worth five mil, but in the current market, this was, you know, a decade ago. So there's a GFC come and said, mate, you're not going to sell it for five mil. I can get you two for it and we can get you out of the business. And I think you're being fed a bit of a line here. And here's a reason, and I laid them out. Here's why it is. Plus, I know all the buyers. And I can tell you there's a limited pool of buyers for this business. So the accountant doesn't know all that sort of stuff. And I said to him, I've negotiated with these people numerous times. I know what they're prepared to pay for. And I actually said to him, like he was an aggressive guy, and he said, I'll give you a – he said, all right, you're a young guy. I like what you've said. I'll give you a chance. I'll give you two weeks to sell this. You reckon you got the buyers? And I said, hang on. No, 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 no. The deal is give me four (laughs) weeks. I'll take you up on it, four weeks, but my rate's going up. And you've got to give it to me four weeks from when the figures are all prepared and everything and we've got the the IM in place, the information memorandum in place. Then I can do my job. And he agreed to it and we sold it within four weeks, no worries. And for the price. And it was and and he he ended up not being happy with his accountant because the accountant had clearly told him the wrong thing. Now the accountant was a good guy. It's just he was very blinkered. He didn't realise the marketplace. So that's what I mean. You, you need you, – when someone's serious about selling a business, they do, especially once it gets into bigger deals, they definitely need an advisor on board who can advise around the whole – the package. What, what, what else is going on out there? Plus, like you said, Simon, you know, the, with someone who's doing this all the time is in, is in tune with the buyers and how, what the current marketplace is. At, at the moment – the marketplace is hot for 
you know, all sorts of assets. So it's a different market. Yeah, yeah. So, and 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 I'd love to come. I, I want to come back to the market today in, in a moment because that's that's something I think everybody we're really interested in hearing. Just your point there about you know lawyers, accountants, and and you mentioned a third party that can cause deals to the banks. The banks, of course. You know, one of the things I'm going to layer over the top of the those three kind of situations, and I guess really what you're saying there. I mean, they're stakeholders, right? Yeah. You know, the lawyers yeah. and accountants make up part of a deal team, you know, if if I'm selling a company and I'm a manufacturer, you know, as you said, I mean, I need a lawyer, no doubt. Absolutely. I need an accountant. I do need someone to run the commercials of the deal because yep. yeah, you do. people can, yeah, there are experts in their field. Like when a lawyer gives you advice, it's advice based on their area of expertise. It is a piece of the jigsaw puzzle, not the whole picture. And and I agree with you. I've seen, I've seen lawyers sink deals because they were too busy arguing over points that were actually immaterial just so they could try to win an argument. And everybody sat back and went, this actually has no bearing on the deal other than trying to score points in a contract negotiation. And that is that happens so often and that's why it needs someone like yourself to recognise that's going on because it, it literally, and they get in the ear of the, of the vendor or the buyer and yeah. it, it just can unravel. Whereas it doesn't need to, totally yeah. unnecessary. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't need so so a good a good deal team where everybody collaborates and talks and is and can openly question and challenge yeah. ideas. I think collaboration is critical. And I guess what I'm going to I'm going to layer over the top of that discussion around what sinks deals and and say deal fatigue is a very very real thing. And and you know getting a deal done in four weeks is is. Phenomenal! So, congratulations it was my on that. Best but, one ever. So, I'm pretty proud of that one. Yeah, 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 that's cool. But, but you know, I see this all the time: is that as deals drag on, and they drag on for different reasons. You know, sometimes it is the lawyer takes too long, or the the accountant doesn't have the numbers, or the just the you know the vendor can't make his mind up about things, or the buyers are off on some other thing. I've seen it all. But the longer the deal drags on, the more tired and over it everybody gets until eventually a party just says, screw it. I can't be bothered with this. There's better things I can do with my time. I'm totally. out. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's the thing when you, um, once you, you get a sense that the deal is going to go ahead, you need to firmly press on the accelerator then on both sides. And it's funny, one of my mentors, he, he sold out twice to publicly listed companies. And he was the first one to tell me to watch out for this. And I was actually helping him find businesses as well. But he said each time what they what buyers, you touched on something really good there, buyers too, smart buyers will do the EBIT grind thing and particularly the public listed companies or the really smart ones and they just keep grinding away. They keep coming back with more and more, you know, demands for you know, they want big folders and, and they just grind away at your adjusted EBIT until they just keep. So at first they agree to everything and then they just grind away. And you've yeah, got to nip yeah. that in the bud and you can't, like, like he said, you need a good advisor, emerges an acquisition person on your team to help make sure that doesn't happen and to push it along. And I think it's really important for your listeners down the track when you're thinking about selling at some point. Uh, you know, obviously I'm biased. And I, by the way, I don't do this anymore. I don't, I don't do advisory stuff anymore on, on, on sales like that. Um, but I just know from personal experience and all my friends who are really successful entrepreneurs and have done the big sellouts, they all say the same thing, having that intermediary to, to exactly what you've hit on. Because selling a business is a big process. Bricks and mortar businesses, in our world of websites, it's dead easy. That's a different story. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. 
Oh, we get well, bricks and mortar businesses, though. <laughs> you know, you can get a big sellout, and having a good visor on board, I think, a, it makes the the difference between even getting your business sold, but definitely getting it sold for a record price or getting a fair deal. One one of the things my mentor taught me was, Matt, you're not always going to make everyone happy. What we've got to do in these negotiations when we're selling businesses is to make sure both parties are reasonably happy. So that's a good way to look at it, and I, and I think that, that that's a really smart bit of advice. I, 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 yeah, and thank you for sharing that. I think that's a critical piece of advice, you know, and it, it's something we're often saying to our clients is, you know, hey, look, nobody gets all the, everything they want in these negotiations, yeah. right? Yeah. And if and if you and if one party did get everything they want, it's probably at a really negative cost to the other party. And I don't want to play that game. I, I, I don't. I, I don't want to take advantage of other people. And I don't like. Yes, we always want to get the best possible price we can for our clients. But if it meant doing something unethical or immoral, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. like that's. I'm not down for no, that. It's not going to work. No. And so, yeah. I just. I think this. This whole issue around deal fatigue and and EBIT grind is a, is a good one. And we've we've had numerous guests on this show who have gone down this path of, oh, I got tapped on the shoulder. It was all lovely, romantic and honeymoon and relationship and wonderful. And then they just keep asking for more and more and more and more. And nine months later, they basically lowballed me and screwed yeah, me. And that actually really interesting. <laughs> Anecdotally, I know this is my world. It's always around that nine to 12 month mark finally. And then you realize, ah, oh, crap. And by then the other buyers are gone. Everyone else is out of the deal. And yeah, it's not, it, 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 it's really tricky. It's definitely something, you know, I say to people, I think the worst mistake you can make, and it's actually I just I sent out an email to our community, even in website worlds, don't try and sell these things yourself. Have an intermediary. It just puts a stop to all that sort of stuff. Definitely. You want that intermediary in there. People balk at the, you know, the, the fees are involved, but you always get more back than your fees. And selling a business, let's not kid ourselves, it's not always about the money that you clear. Sometimes it's just, especially we, we deal with a lot of, you know, typically people sell their businesses are, are older, they're moving to retirement. It's about actually selling the thing. Like my client with the, the $5 million business, at the end of the day, to him the money wasn't the important bit. It was just he had to get the heck out. He needed the money for property development and it's just getting the deal done so people can move on with their lives as well. Yeah. Next chapter, yeah. But, you know, and, and coming full circle here on this deal fatigue thing too, though, it's, you know, you get ground down over nine months, all the other buyers are gone and everything else. This is straight out of the corporate playbook, yep. right? They, yep. know they know that deal fatigue is a real thing. They know that after six to nine months, you are so damn committed to this deal, you just want it done now. You're over it. And they're banking on the fact that they'll just lowball you now and you'll just accept yep. it. This, it happens, <laughs> so, happens a lot um, if you're not careful. Yeah. But the good news is, if you've got a good advisor and there's even just a couple of, you only need two buyers. I was also taught that by a lot of our mentors. You only need two buyers and that's enough to drive the price up to a realistic level and keep it there and then you just keep the pace on. And that's when you do need, in my opinion, something you mentioned, I like that word collaborative effort between accountants and lawyers. We need to get them on board to make everything run smoothly, not be aggressive. Let's just keep it moving fast and make sure the accountant's on board. That's probably my number one bit of advice. Get your yeah, yeah. Yeah. All advisors, I mean, that's, that's, that's our obligation, isn't it, as advisors is to get the best possible result for our clients. 
and that and that doesn't you know there's no point being sort of what's the expression uh, cent smart dollar yeah. dollar, no. dollar silly or whatever it is like you could be arguing over pennies in the dollar and rather and what you've done is drag the process out by six months which was a grueling painful process for your client if we all are just on the same page and pulling in the same direction you can get better outcomes in a quicker time frame and and isn't that what we all want. Matt, I could talk to you about this stuff all day, uh, but in the in the uh, in the interest of, uh, of of I guess time and and everybody else, I, I really want to actually spend a little bit of time talking about what you're doing oh, now yeah, so because you, you've. You, you, <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, you, you've got the background, you've got the history, the experience, you demonstrated a leader in this area, you know, you know what you're talking about and that's led you to to what you do today. So to, to, talk us through your current business and, and, and how that works. Yeah, so what what we did when our kids came along and I guess going back to your original insightful questions about what really does drive us, at that stage we're buying and selling businesses and things and it, and it wasn't easy. I'm not going to say that was easy. It was tough. We were on the edge with the banks and stuff because all our money was going into businesses but we'd been learning, you know, what are the best business models that we can do to set up the life how we want and we started seeing this thing called the internet and then when our daughter was born, we decided we're going full on into this and my wife, so, we, you know, we, she's at home and everything and she just said to me one day, why the hell don't we just do what, what we've always done with um, businesses? Let's start buying and selling websites. There's got to be a way you can do it because just so everyone knows, we built our first website on a on the old software called Dreamweaver and it was bloody hard and we, my wife's a lot more impatient than I am and she went through five or six months building this website, getting it up and working and at first it didn't work, there was a lot of work. Yeah, so how we got into it was because my wife is a bit more impatient. She, she got frustrated at building her first website and it took a long time and back then it was really hard to build websites and she just literally turned to me one day and said, um, she was very successful with her first website, by the way, but mainly it was the kids that drove us, having kids and just wanted that change in life. And we suddenly realised, wow, we can do exactly what we've done with bricks and mortar businesses except in a way more leveraged way with websites. We don't have to keep pouring all our money back in the stock and there's different ways you can um, own and buy and sell websites like you can businesses, but that was the main thing that drove us is that freedom and we suddenly realised too we don't do, so everyone understands, we don't, we don't touch e-commerce sites. People naturally think when they hear that we own a whole heap of websites and we buy and sell them that it's all e-commerce like Amazon stuff or whatever. We do none of that, never have because of, now you've listened to this interview, you know why, because we don't like owning physical stock. So we never wanted to go back into a business where we have to keep pulling out all our money that we're making from the growth to put back into stock to sit in a warehouse somewhere to send out. So all we do online is literally own websites that are big content sites and we basically sell advertising. That's it. So or affiliate, or we get affiliate commissions and it's a really simple business model. Um, I don't think here in Australia people realise how powerful it is and how big an industry it is. In America it's an absolutely enormous industry. Um, I don't think it's appreciated here but... We, we were doing it, you know, a decade ago. It worked fantastically well. Literally or every, pretty much every cent you make on the website is profit for us compared to bricks and mortar businesses. You don't – all we have is a bit of hosting, a bit of our time and a little bit of our team and that's it. Everything else is just free yeah, cash nice. flow. So that, that's what we do. 
And, and, and so, uh, I mean, as much as you can talk about certain stuff, so pl- please, you know, stop me if I ask questions that are, you know, you're not comfortable with. But um, can you talk to me a little bit about the types of websites? Like when you say advertising, uh, you know, non-retail, like, the, I don't know, that just seems like such a big, <laughs> massive thing. I mean, it's... Yeah. You know, are there are there particular industries or site types or what does not, that look not, like? It doesn't matter about industries, but we do like um, we go quite niche. We look for what we call passion sites, so in the crafting niche. So what, basically, what, what I should explain is: so here we come from this full-on you know background. We're doing deals one to twenty mil, you know, with bricks and mortar business, and now we're suddenly buying these little micro businesses again, but they're pure profit. And we can own a whole portfolio of them. We own a stack of them. And all they do is they're on Google. They drive lots of visitors to them. So they'll be on a topic. Say it's on dog training or whatever. I always use that example. Or um, one of my <laughs> examples is because it's our background is chainsaws, right? So you've got this website that reviews chainsaws. And so people are looking for answers when they come on the internet, especially 10 years ago. That's what mainly what the internet was used for, except for some obvious other reasons. But in our way of making money, <laughs> in our way of making money back in those days, we realised people are looking for answers. So all we have to do is answer those questions. We get the eyeballs onto, onto the website and then we just put an ad in front of them and we get paid every time someone clicks on that ad. So basically we're like little yeah, mini publishers. We're like our own uh, media company, I suppose you could say, but at a very micro level. And then what we did was we just realised, oh, we can do a roll-up here like we used to do with bricks and mortar businesses, like the PE firms that we used to work with. We can go into the pet training niche, Google every single website in that niche, send them an email, a letter, exactly what we used to do with bricks and mortar business and say, hey, we're cash buyers, we're interested in um, buying up websites in this niche, are you interested in selling? And that's literally how we got going in this, exactly what we used to do with bricks and mortar businesses. And so we just started up buying a heap of businesses, getting them ranking really well in Google, put ads on there and people come on, click it. And this is passive. So this is is we literally make money while we sleep, which is beautiful. So it ticks that box for us. Um, we can live wherever we want, ticks that box. And the main box that it ticked was, as you've heard, is, yeah, we didn't have to put money in the stock ever again. So pretty much ticked all our boxes of the perfect business model. And we didn't need to involve lawyers or accountants. <laughs> so um, we just bought and sold these things ourselves. Yeah. Easy. And, and okay, so you've, you've obviously, by the sounds of things, um, you've got a bit of a portfolio perhaps of some websites that you own yep. that generate revenue and, and obviously very, very extraordinarily high margins, which is fabulous. Do you offer this service to other people? Do you help others buy as well? or what? what? No. We, we recommend, uh, everyone asks us that. And we're very focused in yeah. life and what we do. What we do do is what's there, the eBusiness Institute. We teach people what we do. That's the way we get leverage on on our knowledge with that. Yeah. We don't. We no longer act as advisors in deals and stuff as well. Um, I mean, hey, if someone we we help out friends like, and when people come to us with you know twenty million or fifty million dollar deals, I love working on stuff like that. Always happy to talk to someone about that, but then I always refer them on. So this in this day and age, we refer people on to. There's some awesome. When we started out, there were no website brokers out there. Now we've we know them all personally. They've been around for a decade. They're really good operators. And then there's people like yourself too that do bespoke, you know, high end stuff. So we always just go say go and speak to so and so. So we're very well connected. We know who people can talk to. And we've been involved with um, 
We've got friends that have done sellouts to publicly listed companies and all that sort of stuff, and we know who all their advisors are. So here in Australia, we can connect people up if they need to. But our focus these days is on teaching total beginners like we were once upon a time to not make the same mistakes that we made in the early days and to get up to. So we have a lot of clients who are wanting to escape the rat race or get out of their business and have the same freedom that Liz and I have with our family and kids. And our life is a lot more relaxed these days. It's not the full-on thing that it was before. And we're about making life simple, not hard. No, and that sounds brilliant. So, so for the people that are listening to this, they go, "Oh man, I'd I'd love to do what Matt and Liz do because what a life!" Yep. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do this? They they can go to the E Business Institute and 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 learn how to do what you're doing for yourself. Absolutely, yeah. So if someone's interested, just and there's a plug for it, but we've got a free masterclass on there. It's a 90 minute webinar, and it's and it's obviously we talk about our course at the end of that, but it's all 90 minutes of content where you can just learn our strategy. So questions like you asked, okay, what sort of sites do you buy? Like, how does this bloody work? And where do you buy the sites? You know, what's your strategy? Because there's lots of, there, there is, the thing we love about being online is it's unlimited what you can do. It is really cool, especially if you've got some money to, I'm not saying you have to rush out there and buy big websites or anything like that. You can, we've got clients who are incredibly successful just buying sites under 20 grand. Mm, and they, mm. they end up building those up so that they replace their six-figure incomes working from home. That's pretty cool. Now, you can't do that with bricks-and-mortar businesses in the time frame that we've seen our clients do it. So we go through that strategy in that masterclass and we show you the sites and what our clients are doing. You can, and if people are interested, they can just go on our blog and see all – we've got lots of case studies there too where people can see interviews with our clients of what they've done in the space of a year or two Oh, wow. Keeping in mind, these are beginners who are beginners online. And it's just amazing seeing that the stuff they've done. Like, I'm just thinking one of them is this sounds extraordinary, but this is the sort of leverage you can get. We've got Mark, and he was working at a university, right, as a a lecturer in chemistry. And during COVID, he, he just obviously had to take some time off, and he's just never gone back. And he invested $50,000, like less than 50 grand on websites. And that's replaced his six-figure income now. So he didn't have wow. to go back and work again. So, nice. you know, that, that's and just through these content sites. So it's a compared to you think about the first part of this interview, Simon, you know, uh, bricks and mortar world, you know, that, that that's you can see why that thing, that, that's in the past for me. I have no interest in that anymore at all. I'm very, my wife says, you've got to tone down on that, Matt. And, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I'm so excited about the online space. I think it can really free, it certainly has for Liz and I. Now, admittedly, it took us, you know, we, we did well very quickly and we had 10 years before that buying and selling businesses. Yeah, yeah. But we've always hung around people that want to do the big sellout and I have never been in a business environment where it can happen so quickly and so in such a big way as yeah. with online businesses. It's kind of a no-brainer because you've got to remember online businesses are 24-7 worldwide. That That's a, you know, from a sales point of view, that's a big you know, TAM, total addressable market, even for little websites. So we've got, you know, sites about chainsaws or dog training or whatever. 
we're suddenly now dealing with a worldwide market, whereas before in bricks and mortar, I'm only dealing with people here in Australia or a couple of distributors or whatever. So, yeah, it's just it's an amazing space to be. It re- and it's heaps yeah. easier now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Matt, how do people reach out to you? Because I, I suspect you're going to get a few uh, people wanting to chat. Um, is it LinkedIn? Is it websites? What, 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 what can you share with us? <laughs> as much as I live online, not LinkedIn, I generally don't. I get spammed way too much because I'm an angel investor. We kind of get. Yeah. Um, best just to contact me through our contact form at the eBusiness Institute. It's probably the easiest way just, if anyone's interested there. And what's what's the website there? eBusinessInstitute.com.au. Fabulous. Or you can Google Matt and Liz Rad or Matt Rad and you'll you'll find me there too. And Rad is R A D, just for those who are wondering that. We'll, of course, uh, put all of the links and everything in the show notes for this podcast. So um, so for those who are listening and, and if you just go back in, you'll be able to click on something in there. Um, Matt, thank you. I, I, I'm so, so grateful. Like I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Thank I you, love yeah. your story. It's so insightful. And, you know, just from somebody who's been there before, you know, it's. I just don't think you can. You know, you can't. You can't do better than advice from somebody who's been through it. And and I'll, and so I'll, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I, I should have given you a little reminder earlier. But uh, is, is there one tip that you would share with your fellow entrepreneurs? Oh, definitely. Obviously, get into websites. You know, I'm going to say that because you can see I'm passionate about that because I'm a big believer on it. But. I think get yeah. online, yep. <laughs> but no matter what business you get into, and I'm very passionate about businesses, I think in light of particularly in what, what you do at the Exit Advisory as well, but also um, in light of this this interview and, and I look back now over 25 years in business, I, I seriously, the number one bit of advice I think I would give any business owner, whether it's bricks and mortar or a website business owner, is think about your exit from day one. And I'm sure in this day and age, that might even sound like a bit of a cliche, but it's it's a cliche for a reason. It is very, very powerful. Without a doubt, every business owner I know has a far better business if they're thinking about the exit because too many people don't think about it, especially we deal with a lot of people in their 50s and above, say. And I say to them, is your business ready for sale? And they go, no, I don't want to sell. And they go, well, mate, it might happen quicker than you think, and one day you will, and it will set your business up in a much better way. And also, it means you're starting to get educated about how what's the best way to set your business up and for an exit. And you also might get very pleasantly surprised because most businesses, when they do sell, that's your big payout. That's your retirement. So it's really important. Think about it from day one. I can't remember who's, what, what is it? Yeah, I can't remember who, where I first read that, but it's always stuck with me. And I think it's probably the best bit of advice I can give to everyone listening today. Start from day one. So if that means, hey, here's a plug for you, Simon, you know, go and talk to someone like Simon and what needs to be in place here, you know, get your figures right, all that sort of stuff. But even just looking, it gets you thinking about how your systems are run and it will make your life a lot better too in terms of running the business. So I I think that's probably the number one bit of advice I reckon when I look back over the journey. You know, that's and that is awesome advice. Um, you know, it's certainly at the, the the risk of me being repetitive, you know, we talk about thinking about your exit all the time. But but one thing I'll I will reiterate for those listening, if you haven't heard me before, is that when you start thinking about exits, this is not your first port of call is not not 
like money and just all this sort of stuff. It's thinking about actually what's important to you and yep. your life. Absolutely. You know, we're not born to do business. We're born to live our life. Yeah, so that's true. have a think about what kind yeah. of life you want. Yeah, I like that. And then yep. we can build a business to deliver on that, right? Yeah, that's, that's actually the number one thing we say to people when they're, when they're thinking about selling is, What's your goals? So, so they, want, they, they think they expect me to be looking at their figures and stuff and go, no, no, what, what's your goals? What do you really want to do here? And I think that does exactly what you said. That's probably why I inadvertently say that because think about that from day one in your business and relate it to your exit. Um, I think it's a very powerful bit of advice. That's really cool. Yeah, what, 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 um, what do you want out of your business? And then you set it up for that exit over the – it might be a 10-year plan, five-year plan, whatever – but um, yeah. yeah, it's good fun though. Have fun out there. Awesome, indeed. Have fun, right? Enjoy life, Matt. Thank you so much. Thanks, You've Simon. been an amazing guest. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, mate, look forward to catching up again sometime soon. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.